everyone, this is Keena Wolfenstein and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. Today my guest is Melissa Parks and we are talking all about emotionally focused therapy for couples and we're kind of diving into different attachment adaptations, the cycle of withdrawing and pursuing that happens in couples, so it's a great episode. There is a trigger warning for this episode because we do briefly discuss domestic violence. So um, Melissa is talking about things that are um, counterindicated for couples therapy, which includes coercive control. And so she differentiates between two kinds of intimate partner violence, one being coercive control, um, which she calls terroristic abuse. And this is what is counterindicated. So couples experiencing coercive control should not be in couples therapy it's not safe for the victim Um, but then she differentiates that from a different kind of uh, intimate partner violence that can occur which is called situational abuse which is where neither person is um, using coercive control tactics but there is still some form of like violence that occurs in the relationship so I just wanted to kind of describe what that conversation is about and put a trigger warning on it right here so if you feel that that would be upsetting for you to listen to or um, dysregulating for you, feel free to skip this episode. But um, that is only a very brief part of it, and it's a it's a really great discussion. I learned a lot about uh, emotionally focused therapy, and Melissa has such a compassionate and um, understanding view of couples and of the the cycles of disconnection that couples often get stuck in. So I'm going to read her bio. Melissa is a licensed therapist in private practice in South Carolina. She has been in practice for 19 years, and she specializes in working with couples and with adults with complex trauma. She is a certified emotionally focused couples therapist, an EMDR IA approved EMDR consultant and clinician, and she's in her advanced year in becoming a somatic experiencing practitioner. She can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Melissa Park Says, and I will be linking her website and her social media, media handles below. Um, Before I launch into this episode, just a quick few show announcements. So my link tree will also be in the podcast description. Um, Please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing to my Patreon, which will grant you access to bonus content and helps support the work that I do and make the podcast sustainable. Uh, In the link tree, I also have workshops and I have my practice website. Um, We are still accepting clients in Texas and Missouri at my practice. So if you're in one of those states, feel free to reach out at strongrootpsychotherapy.com. And I think that's about it. So thank you all for your support. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for being here. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Yes. You're my first guest to come twice onto the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Second time. Um, So yeah, as we were just discussing, we're going to kind of focus doing a deep dive um, regarding attachment and all of the work that you do with couples and with different attachment stuff. And I guess to start off, could you just give us like a synopsis of um, emotion focused therapy and what it is and how you like to use it? Yes, yes, that would be wonderful. Um, Emotionally focused therapy. So I know you talk a lot with your community about bottom up approaches to therapy. And EFT is a bottom-up approach. It Mm -hmm. was created by Sue Johnson. And in a nutshell, it really focuses on the intrapsychic and the interpersonal. So what's inside of us and what's happening between us. And emotion is the agent of change. So it's not about insight or explanations that drive the change in this therapy. It's corrective emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. And something really important about couples distress when they come in is that we define that distress as misattempts to meet mm-hmm. one another's universal attachment longings. Like, so to know that I'm lovable and worthy of love, to know that my partner is dependable and trustworthy. And so this is really helpful when we define it in that way. It kind of helps us decriminalize these actions that we take and, Mm. and contribute to our distress because really these things that we do clinging, protesting, blaming, turning away, shutting down, being dismissive are really normal responses when our significant other is unavailable. Mm. And so this is kind of like in a nutshell of what EFT is and sort of the, um, the non uh, pathologizing. Yeah. 
I feel like Mm -hmm. even just hearing you say that I'm like that is so compassionate like I can Mm. I can imagine the relief that comes from viewing those strategies all as coming from like attempts to to connect or or miss attempts to connect that's a really Mm -hmm. that seems like a really great shift instead of just like this is all you know bad behavior or these are things that are gonna like sabotage your relationship or that more blameful approach right 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 and attachment is like no I mean it's made up of like a little mix of, you know, geeking out systems theory, experiential models, but really attachment theory is like at the core, everything Mm -hmm. is seen through the lens of attachment. Mm -hmm. And our distress is this unexpressed fears that trigger Mm -hmm. negative reactions. And then the negative reactions trigger the fear. So this is like the, that cycle, the more, the more kind of thing that, you know, first we'll talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. So this modality is mostly used in couples therapy where you're basically guiding, or is it also used in individual therapy? It is. It is. It's actually like there's, there's newer trainings called EFIT, emotionally focused individual therapy, and then EFFT, emotionally focused family therapy. I use it mostly with couples. Um, and uh, so that's where my certification is and, and how I did my certification strictly with couple therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Um, yeah, I guess, could you maybe give like a common example of like how, how those theories are actually kind of applied? So, like you have a couple coming in that are maybe struggling with that cycle. Like what, what does it look like to guide people through that process of exploration? Well, I, I wish I could make it so simple because like when it comes to EFT, there is really this map that we follow. Um, And certainly with any kind of therapy, we're doing like a good assessment and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. um, this, this map is really important because we don't want to jump too much into vulnerability, especially if we have things like trauma and active substance use and all these other potentials that we need Mm -hmm. to kind of go through the weeds about. But um, we're, we're not wanting to go really, really deep into the vulnerability at at first. Essentially what we're trying to determine is, um, helping them see that distress first and foremost. But what we see a lot is couples coming in with these typical fights, fights about money, mess, sex, time, and kids. Mm -hmm. And they think that what they're fighting about is against one another, but what they're really fighting about is this desperation to get a response from their Mm -hmm. partner or the at a loss to how to respond Um, because I don't know how, I don't know how to reach my partner. So a lot of it is just helping them slow down at first, this cycle that is getting them stuck so much. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So like the kind of the process instead of the content thing where it's like people get stuck on the content of the fights and not the like emotional processes underneath. 100%. Um, Honestly, content is really a distraction. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time. And so much of this model is um, slow, soft, repetitive, moment to moment engagement. It's all about attunement to emotion. And we really focus on having some things like certainly alliance with a therapist. Uh, we want emotional experiencing. We want emotion online when we're working within this model and with these with these people and then we're also looking to have these moments where there's what's called affiliative sharing. So attempts to bond with our partner. Mm-hmm. And, it, and go ahead. Is it similar to, because I, I know a little bit about the Gottman therapy and I know they talk about the bids for connection. Is it similar to that or is there some differences there? I think there's, there's some pretty significant differences. I mean, Gottman is so wonderful in terms of like his research, but very much like when, when, and I'm not, I'm, I've actually did level one Gottman, but it's been so long ago. Mm -hmm. I feel like Gottman takes more of a cognitive sort of, sort of approach. Mm -hmm. And EFT is so much more of that um, starting from the bottom and going Mm -hmm. up, really dropping into more of the emotion with the couples and staying Mm. out of that cognitive heady place. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we're thinking about what we're doing with this, with couples, um, there, there are different stages, different steps in the model and um, stage one is all about discovering and identifying this negative cycle that they have between Mm -hmm. the two of them. 
Mm -hmm. But the negative cycle isn't about the content of what they're fighting about. It's like the negative cycle of their kind of attachment responses. Exactly. So let's say we have, and I think I've given an example on social media before, but let's say we have, and we can talk about the different attachment styles, um, which might have a lot of people like buzzing, like, oh my gosh, attachment styles, because that's everywhere. (laughs) But honestly, when it comes to this kind of therapy, it's not even really important for us to talk about attachment styles. It's, it's helpful in that it helps us maybe have a little bit of self-discovery and it helps Mm. the the therapist have a working hypothesis of who does what within Mm. this cycle. That's important. Mm. But, um, what we're, what we might see is, so I'm going to talk about a pursuer and a withdrawer. And when I say a pursuer, I'm talking about one that tends to use more of those anxiously attached strategies And then the withdrawer tends to use more of the avoidant attached strategies. Mm -hmm. But let's say that I have like a typical interaction where um, maybe we're getting ready for a party or something and each person is doing their own things that they think might be helpful for the party. And maybe something happens with the more pursuing partner that catches this sense of disinterest or not doing enough or something. And in order to close the gap on that disconnection, they go toward their partner and they say, why aren't you doing this? Mm. And this behavior, which might come across as critical to their partner, the more withdrawing partner um, might prompt this inner experience for the withdrawer to say, damn, uh, I can never get it right by them. They Mm. might get in touch with some anger, frustration on the inside. But instead of sharing something a little bit more vulnerable, they might dismiss the partner, whatever, or defend. You never see all the other stuff that I do, which this behavior becomes a fresh trigger for the more pursuing partner Mm -hmm. and round and round they go. So they come in saying, this is the fight that we always have. He never, or she never listens to me and they never want to ever see the things that I do and on and on and on. So they get caught in all this content. But yeah, what they really need is to slow the heck down so we can really unpack what it is at the core of this. What are the right. fears? What are the longings? Right. And so that's what we're really yeah. trying to do in the beginning. That is so cool. Yeah. So in that example, on the outside, it looks like criticism where it's like, oh, why are you not doing enough? But the deeper level there is that they're feeling activated by perceiving their partners like disinterest or disengagement or feeling distance or disconnection. And yeah, the criticism is actually the criticism is like a a interesting way of trying to connect or trying to like increase closeness. Yeah. And 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 a way of expressing fear. I'm scared that this Mm. means that they don't care. And instead of saying that very vulnerably, because they don't trust that that's going to go over well. It never has in the past. Um, whether it's through this relationship or childhood stuff. And so instead they just go towards the poking or the pursuing and the same thing on the other side, they don't share vulnerably about the fears of, I don't know if I'm really good in your eyes. I don't even know if you see me as good. And so instead I just defend and I say, I'm fine. It's her or him. She's always got the problem. She's always angry. And so here's this couple both alone in their distress And they, what do they end up doing? They end up coping individually in their own ways and never using the relationship to cope. No co-regulation, which is exactly. Yeah. And is that, so when you said leaning in, when -hmm. you said, um, corrective emotional experiences, would that be an experience of co-regulation or like what kind of correction are you looking for there? Sure. It could be certainly an experience of co-regulation, but it could also just mean like this Thing that I've never done with my partner. I've never told my partner, Hey, sometimes when I, I get the sense that I'm not good in your eyes, it scares me so much mm. being able to pass that over. And this is another big piece of EFT is that we don't talk about these things. We actually initiate these, um, affiliative sharing kind of interactions mm. through one of the interventions, which are called enactments. We actually bring this stuff alive in the room. Oh, wow. And and then we say, can you turn and share that to your partner? And it, mm. it feels kind of weird. I always have couples say, this is freaking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty of that is when we practice this stuff, when we bring the emotion online and have them actually turn and share, 
this is what makes EFT so effective. They're yeah. much more likely to do this at home. Right. No, that's so cool. Cause that is very experiential. Like you're not analyzing the interaction from an outside lens. You're like embodying it in the therapy. Exactly. Room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Um, I was thinking too, in terms of like people not sharing the more vulnerable fears of what's underneath, would you agree that a lot of the times people are not even aware of what that deeper fear is, right? Like absolutely, absolutely. it's just experienced and so, as irritation or anger or whatever. And there's not that awareness of like, what's the vulnerability. Right. Hence the need to go so slow. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's like painful. It's like, oh my gosh, Melissa, especially <laughs> for those folks that you know, tend to go a little bit quicker, tend to, you know, like Stan Tatkin says, the processing is more like an airplane. Um, Mm. You know, it's hard sometimes to slow down. It's hard sometimes to stay, excuse me, and to linger. And that's really our job as um, therapists. And I love, I'm not sure who says this in our community, but we, we as therapists are actually process consultants. So we're not necessarily there to help them communicate or anything. We're there to consult as they, as they learn how to um, do this thing called emotional sharing. And so Mm -hmm. it's just breaking down this process. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, a lot of that looks, and I know we'll get into it later, but it can look different for those with trauma, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Really cool. I guess. Yeah. Why don't we just kind of jump into the attachment piece? So can you talk a little bit more about like a, the kind of the pop psychology view of attachment styles versus how you see attachment theory really showing up in, in this kind of processing? Yeah. You know, I guess I'm just going to like conversate with you. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I cringe when I see a lot of this pop psychology stuff, but I put it out there too. And a lot of the time that I put it out there, I'm just hoping that people will land on my social media pages Mm -hmm. and then dig a little bit more so that they learn um, more about like how I speak about it. Um, Because I do feel like it's really a great thing for us to identify uh, our attachment strategies for Mm -hmm. sure. I don't like the term attachment style. Sometimes there's this the sense that goes with that, that like it's fixed and this is who I am. I'm in this box. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm avoidant. Oh, it bothers me to hear those terms. Yeah. Yeah. These are just, these are just ways that you are navigating your needs of safety and connection. And it's also a way that you are mitigating your fears Mm -hmm. of not being seen as lovable of not knowing if your partner is going to be available to you. Um, and so, you know, certainly it can be helpful for you to like dig into the, the, all the details about the specific strategies, like the anxious, the avoidant and the disorganized. But ultimately what I would want folks to do is to take some time and think about how strongly and consistently they react to things like a sense of abandonment, a mm. sense of rejection, a sense of dismissiveness, a sense of intrusion, a sense of a loss of autonomy. That's what how I would want to how I would want people to approach figuring out their attachment strategies. It mm. feels a little bit more like intimate, a little bit more um, on that like bottom up kind of level instead of like just yeah. this education. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I find that especially with like the attachment styles, then people are looking for this like category that they just completely fit into. And it really wipes mm-hmm. away a lot of the like nuance and, and complexity that comes with attachment. Cause people oh. do use like a mix of strategies. It's not just that it's like, if you're anxious, you are this type of person and you do these things and right. It's very over like simple, yes. simplistic. It is. And this, that's the word that I feel like we have to cling to is nuance. Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to cling to that, that word. It's so important. And, and, you know, even in different relationships, we might show up differently, Mm -hmm. even in different circumstances, we might show up differently. 
Totally. Yes. Like I've had people be confused because they're like, why is it that, you know, with these people in these contexts, I feel like I'm so anxiously attached, but then with this other person, I'm avoidantly attached. Does that mean I have disorganized attachment? And it's like getting yes. really caught up in the the labeling and the categories. So I love when I hear you say like using strategies, because I feel like that's, that's really what it is, right? Is we're just mm-hmm. like pulling on these different strategies, depending on what our bodies and, and emotional maps are kind of telling us we need to do at the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And so there are definitely sources that I like tell people to stay away from. And then sources that I'm like, yeah, take the, take that in because I feel like some really do perpetuate some of that, that stickiness. Um, Yeah. 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 When you talk about the like pursuing withdrawing, I feel like there's also, there's something about that, that is, a reframe than than how some people approach it because it's like the or at least for me it was a it was a learning curve to realize that pursuing behaviors it's not always like pursuing um in the way of like asking for reassurance or trying to like be affectionate or like I've seen this idea that the the pursuer or the anxious person is basically always seeking you know love and and closeness but what I learned from you and your content is that those pursual behaviors are actually often more of I don't know if you would call them all like the protesting but you know the blaming the criticizing the like the fact that using um like anger or conflict can actually be like a pursual strategy Mm -hmm. I think was kind Mm -hmm. of new for me could you speak to that a little bit well for sure I mean I think in in our in the world of EFT and the training that I have like they talk about the differences sometimes with soft pursuing and like more strident pursuers Mm. um like I mean I might have someone who is coming out hot in sessions and And what I like to think about is that the strength of our defense correlates, and this is not my language, this is all the people that have gone before me and taught me everything I know, but the strength of our pursuit, for example, correlates with the strength of my pain and fear. I know. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. So it's like, almost like makes me have like a little bit of like fuzziness in my eyes thinking about these like these, these pursuing behaviors. And when they do get very, very critical and when they do get very, very blaming, these people are in pain. Yeah. They are terrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like a shame cycle too, that I see, right. Because then people feel at least a lot of the people that I've worked with that fit into that category. Then there's these feelings of shame about like, Oh my God, why do I lash out? Like, I feel so bad. I can be Mm -hmm. so angry. I can be so mean. That's not how I want to behave. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, there's so much fear underneath the surface. Well, and even on the other side for my withdrawing friends, like Mm -hmm. even the, not only the strength of the like nonchalance potentially, because that doesn't look very like strengthy right what you might see from them is this 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 explosive like attempt to shut it down right get it to stop right that the strength of that that reactive anger oh that's another sign of like wow they don't they're they're so overwhelmed on the inside and this is their best strategy to just seek safety distance protect the relationship make it stop Right. Right. And that causes a lot of shame as well. Right. Like the, the strength of the wall that they put down, basically like the level of kind of the dismissiveness or the retreating, the the closing off is like, I have to protect myself and guard myself because I'm so distressed. Yeah. Right. Right. Hmm. Right. Right. And is the distress of the, the person that tends to be more in the with withdrawing role, can you, I guess, can you talk a little bit more about what that side of the experience is? I don't know if you can tell from my, my language here, but I identify a little bit more with the pursuing kind. So I, I don't have as much personal experience with like, well, what is the, what is the emotional experience of being on, on the receiving end of that cycle? Yeah. So typically when we have, and I actually identify with that side, <laughs> so I can speak a little bit Perfect. more to it, but yeah. Um, you know, it's this sense of like, um, they have kind of like this positive view of self in that, like, I'm fine on my own. And in fact, I've learned like to be really functional on my own, to lean on myself. And there's the pain behind that is that I really had tried in my past to lean on others with no success. And so mm. I've really learned to kind of shut down my attachment strategies to go towards, to try to, to close the, the, the gap of disconnection. Mm-hmm. And so 
the, the struggle is, is when we get in these relationships, the pain is that like, it feels like nothing I ever do is good enough. And I'm not good in their eyes. I'm just mm. not good in their eyes. And that's painful. Um, yeah. But we, especially because it really hits on those old wounds that we almost know about that we weren't good enough back then either. Mm, mm. So like and really so deep we've rejection. Learned, yeah. And so we've really learned to just, it's just better to shut it all down. And right. yet here we are on these relationships because there is a little part of us that, that wants to be right. And, and yet it's just replaying itself over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you talk about this too, the other thing it brings up for me is, and I, I've talked about this on TikTok before too, like how much we have in common with each other despite those different strategies. And I feel like that's Absolutely. another misunderstanding that drives me nuts where I've seen so much like hostility between people of, I mean, literally like the, the anxious avoidant wars, you know, on the internet of basically you bad. Know, avoidant people are like this and they're, they're so terrible or anxious people are like this and they're so terrible. And it's like there, we are so operating from like the same wounds, the same vulnerabilities. Right. And it's just different ways of like adapting and responding to that. It trips me out. It trip. Yeah. I got way back in the day, I did get sucked in into like, um, you know, oh, you know what it, the, the, the content was that pursuers are better than it was. They were saying pursuers were better than withdrawers. Withdrawers yeah. were just awful, closed off, cold, distant people. And I was like, yeah. let, let me really tell you, but that was a mistake because it was like this. Right. Right. I ended up having to excuse myself from that because it is true. There's just such vitriol out there about that, but you're right at the core we are, we're, we're beings that we're made to, we're social beings with, with social brains. We're longing to be connected and yeah. we're longing to have a sense of belonging, to be loved, seen as lovable, to want to depend on others so that we can go out and be dependent and be, right. and, and have, you know, a right. sense of self-worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I imagine with, with EFT, that's part of what couples are kind of being guided into, right. Is being able to like, instead of being so polarized, like seeing that, that common experience of like, we both just want to be able to feel connected, loved, safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I mean, um, real, that's why we really try to steer away from the content. Now that's not, that's not saying that like in the beginning, as we're working on creating relationship with these people, I'm going to shut them down and say, that's not, that's just content. I don't want to hear about that. I mean, we have to build relationship. We have to listen to people. We have to hear their stories and hear the things that they're having pain about most definitely. But, you know, I tell my clients a lot in the beginning, like, um, I, I do take a little bit of control of the sessions because, mm -hmm. Um, you know, as long as our goals are, are, are aligned and I'm relevant to you, this is what I want to see. I want to take you through these stages of this model because we know EFT is gold standard for couple therapy and the outcomes are when they go through these stages, they're mm. able to maintain their progress way, way down the road. And, yeah. and so I'll tell them that like, you know, sometimes in a fun way, like, I don't want you to pay me to fight. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I might stop you and I might interrupt you and I might guide you back mm -hmm. to these things that we're really focusing on the underlying stuff that we're trying to get to. Yeah. 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 What are the different stages? Have, have you gone over? Cause I know there's the discovery and then what else, what are the, the yeah, different so, steps there? So there's um, three stages in EFT and there's three change events that we're looking to, um, you know, kind of work towards. So stage one is all about de-escalating that cycle um, that we're talking about this like cycle of disconnection. Mm -hmm. So we're creating alliance with the couple. We're um, trying to identify that negative pattern that they're in. And this is where I have this working hypothesis of like, who does more of the pursuing, who does more of the withdrawing. And um, we access those underlying emotions to what's driving that negative cycle. Mm -hmm. And we reframe their problems in terms of the cycle. So we know that the first change event has happened when a couple can, can tell me we're not fighting each other. We're mm. fighting this cycle mm. when they can catch it, when they can slow it down, when they can see that, Oh, this is what's beneath this. I have these feelings. This is what's driving me to um, poke you. This is what's driving me to 
want to go away. We've identified that. So this is like the first change event. And this is a big deal. This is called de-escalation. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we might hang out in stage one for a while, especially if we have, you know, those dynamics, like I talked about in the beginning, like trauma and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Stage two is all about the more deeper um, experiences, deeper emotional experiences. And that's not to say that we're not doing some deep emotional work in stage one, but stage two is where we have those two other change events. We're doing withdrawal re-engagement. So we're getting to know the um, withdrawers inner world, mm-hmm. the disowned needs that mm-hmm. they have, their fears, aspects of self that they don't share. Mm-hmm. And we have them bring that over to the pursuer. And then we also do what's called pursuer softening. And this is where we're doing the same exact thing with the pursuer. We're helping Mm. them identify disowned needs, fears, um, aspects of self, and we're having them turn and share. The reason that we start with the withdrawer is, can you imagine how scary that would be for the more pursuing partner to go deeply into their inner world, find their fears, find their their unmet needs and have them turn and share that to a withdrawer that we don't know if they're going to show up. Right, 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 right. That would totally be a block. Like you have to oh, kind of oh, bring the withdrawer absolutely. to the table first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so once, once that's complete, once we get that, um, once we, once we complete that piece, then it's like really this stage three is just this final kind of icing on the cake where we're just consolidating all that work and once mm-hmm. we've done that, then we can talk about all these unsolvable problems that they thought mm. that their fights were all about. Right. And then I'm sure those problems just suddenly are like a lot lighter and more manageable and exactly. not as intense. Right. Because they're using the relationship to cope instead right. of separately in pain, struggling, um, et right. cetera. Wow. That sounds so cool. I want to get trained in this. I'm like, you're totally selling me. on. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's I'm telling you it's, it's life-changing really. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So you mentioned trauma. I mean, I guess for me working so much with attachment trauma, I tend to assume that people that have these really, you know, strong attachment defenses and adaptations, like most, you know, do come from some kind of attachment trauma in their background, you know, some kinds of ruptures or lack of safety that, that created these patterns. So I'm sure, you know, attachment trauma is something that is like pretty prevalent in your practice, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 100%. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, we have to think about things like substance use, interpartner violence, um, a fair recovery, mm. adding a whole new layer onto some of these like attachment trauma issues for mm. sure. Mm. So when we think about trauma, um, I always think about Stephen Porges um, and his ideas and his thoughts on that safety is kind of the preamble to attachment. Yeah. And so that's always kind of in the back of my head, certainly as we're, I'm just dealing with like a couple with kind of like, you know, attachment wounds. But when we're thinking about trauma, we're really yeah. thinking about creating an environment of safe enough and where, where we're making safety a really big priority because we can do couple therapy, even when there is, um, and I know you have a history or experience with domestic violence, um, but mm. we actually can do uh, therapy when there's substance use happening, as long as mm. there's some, as long as there's some, I, I say that, and there's nuance, of course. Um, and we, when there's affair dynamics, as long as the affair is not ongoing, certainly, but there's trauma involved with that. And even with inner partner violence, as long as the inner partner violence has attachment at, at its core. So um, mm. what I've, what I've learned about inner partner violence is that there's two kinds of violence there is, and this is the work of Michael Johnson and some of my colleagues over in Belgium. Mm. Um, so we have inter, in, uh, intimate terrorism, and this is based on control, coercion. This is not where EFT is going to work. Okay. Yeah. But we have, when we have the situational partner violence, when we have this bi-directional or situational partner violence where attachment is at the core and these people want to stop it, this is where we can use EFT. 
Okay. Yeah. I feel like that that's such an important distinction. Cause yeah. So my, my background super is super important, definitely with the coercive control, the power and control. And I have, unfortunately, I have a lot of clients where they saw couples therapists when they were in a power and control relationship and the couples therapist wasn't trained to like notice that. And then they ended so up really being harmed by it, you know, because it's sure. the, the power and control dynamics are maybe even like, um, uh, like reinforced by the couple's therapy or the the mm-hmm. therapy not being able to notice the power differential and treating it like mm-hmm. typical relationship problems when it's when there's this whole you know coercive aspect going on. So yeah, I think so just, definitely important to note that for sure. Yeah. So for for people listening, I want to be really like clear about that. But then you're the second kind, the situational. So that would be a situation where one person is not using coercive control tactics onto the other, right? But rather there's like um, emotional conflict, which is escalating to the point of maybe both people lashing out and like, exactly. Perhaps yeah. one person is using proximity seeking violence. Um, I'm blocking doorways. I'm, I'm getting in faces. I'm maybe yeah. even sla- slapping someone, which is not okay, but this is how we're understanding these behaviors. And then someone is maybe using distance seeking violence yeah. um, behaviors. And so in cases like that, where attachment is at the core um, and certainly, you know, again, we're in, in, in situations like this, we're probably doing pre EFT. So mm-hmm. we are not evoking vulnerability. And, mm-hmm. and certainly with when we have major trauma, when we have instances like this, when we have substance abuse, substance, substance use um, issues, mm-hmm. even affair dynamics, potentially, we might be doing pre EFT. And that is all about trying to establish more emotional safety within the relationship. Yeah. And so we're not evoking a whole lot of vulnerability. We're working more on um, staying in the place of reflecting present process, accessing the emotions beneath the behaviors. We're trying to do, we're trying to find more safety in the yeah. room. Yeah. And once we can do that, then we can move into more of the classic EFT stuff. And it, would that be the same for like the like things you mentioned, like substance abuse or like other really like disruptive patterns that are kind of in the way? Yeah. Of- and again, it's so nuanced, right? So it's like, not like you can like slap a yes or no on this. But when when it comes to substance use, um, this is a particularly interesting potential um, issue. Some things like our contraindications, like the coercive control kind of um, abuse, that's a contraindication. We wouldn't want to use EFT. You might hear sometimes that substance use might be a contraindication, but a lot of the folks in the field of EFT will say that substance use, because of its bi-directionality, is actually perfect for couple therapy. It's mm-hmm. a relationship issue. Mm-hmm. And what that means is not, that doesn't mean that because we have a cycle, I'm making my partner drink. That is not what that means. But what we see the bi-directionality is the more Uh, the more that the cycle of disconnection happens, the more that the individual uses alcohol to cope. And the more the individual uses the alcohol to cope, the more the cycle of disconnection happens. Right. And so it's not about the partner. The partner doesn't make the person drink, but there is this like bi-directionality with this specific issue. Yeah. And, and so we can't just say like, yes, EFT all the time for substance use, because maybe it's a real medical issue and this person needs to go to rehab or recovery. But um, it doesn't mean that we completely throw EFT out when someone says, yes, I'm, I have a substance use issue, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then with like PTSD, because I mean, that mm-hmm. I have a lot of clients, I don't do couples therapy, but I have a lot of clients where they have PTSD, they have complex PTSD. And then they tell me that their partner also has complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it seems like so much of what's happening in their cycles is basically, you know, just both of them having like getting really triggered yeah. and then their triggers trigger each other and the trigger, you know, so absolutely, what, is it, what does it look like with those kinds of couples? Absolutely. Honestly, we focus on titration. It's like, Mm. if you were doing like a step at a time with EFT, um, when we have trauma, we're doing like a quarter step or a half Mm. step at a time. Mm. Um, sometimes with EFT, we're, we might spend a lot of time with one person deepening into their emotional experiencing, um, helping them find coherence on their side before they pass it over to their partner. Mm. When we have trauma dynamics, we, we equal that time. I might be working with one person, but I'm constantly keeping an eye on the other 
and, and to see if their echoes of trauma are coming alive. Mm. One of my, one of my wonderful, um, um, uh, wonderful uh, colleagues that I look up to uses that word echoes of trauma. And so I'm watching for the echoes of trauma to come alive mm. and um, slow is fast. We know this a lot in trauma kind of therapy. So we're going slow. We're doing this equal work between partner. Another huge thing is we don't try to take away their defenses. These are oh. well-earned defenses mm. that they have. And so we validate, validate, validate. We reflect what we see. Ah, yes. Um, you sense his defending and his withdrawing and your wall goes up and mm. it's like the wall feels better to kind of peek around. So it's like, we don't say, take your wall down. We mm -hmm. say, yes, it makes so much sense that your wall is there and that it's, you use that and you peek around it when you look at your partner. So it's mm. like, we really validate their well-earned defenses. Yeah. That's um, very important. Uh, Cause again, that really contributes to some of their safety, their sense of safety and that they make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love that visual of like peeking around the wall. So it's kind of like you can validate the defense, but then is there like a, just a little kind of, you know, sliver where you can see your partner? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and, we, and then we bring in the attachment frame of, uh, frame of like, you know, they're that important to you. You, you do want to peek over, you do want to mm. see still where they are. So you're mm. using this, this wall is there to protect you, but you peek over because they mean that much to you. So it's constantly bringing in that attachment frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some other really thing, important things about trauma. I mean, what we know, a hallmark of trauma, we know is like this intrapsychic rigidity. So mm -hmm. like, it's like when the echoes of trauma kind of come alive, whether it's like fear, a lot of the time, most of the time fear, the survivor copes usually mm. immediately before anything mm. else. And, and we, we reflect this as adaptive. They're not thinking about lashing out and they don't say like, I felt like I need to lash out. Mm. No, it just happened because mm. this is, this is what happens. There's this rigidity on the inside. There's no margin between the trauma response oftentimes mm. and the ways that they're coping. And so we have to try to wedge ourselves as the therapist a little bit between mm. the echo of trauma and the, and the coping that they do. We mm. validate it, but we just try to wedge a little bit in between that. What happened for you right before you right. found yourself going behind the wall? Um, and so we just try to become like a little bit of a wedge between. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause those responses are so quick. They're so automatic, yep. right? Like that's what I always explain to people about our, you know, ingrained, like learned responses is that they're not conscious decisions. Like you're not sitting there and you're like, Hmm, like, I think this is the time to, you know, criticize an attack or this is the time. It's like, no, it's fast. It's a body memory. You know, right. your system just does what it knows how to do in that moment. And it's like quicker than you can even really consciously perceive what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this also creates this sense of like, you know, being known and seen and heard and validated by the therapist it just really increases that, that sense of safety too. Yeah. Um, something else that I think about with trauma folks is that we know that the, another hallmark of trauma is feeling out of control. And so we really give them like a big heads up. We create this predictability within the sessions mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to ask you some questions about this. And then I'm going to linger here. How would that be for you? Mm. Um, and so we just like create that predictability so that they feel like it's not so out of control. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So with, with people that both have complex trauma, it sounds like you're just, you're slowing it down even more. So you can like really, really like move at a, at an incremental pace that can be tolerated. And that doesn't just mm -hmm. send people into those like shutdown responses. Yes. I like that. You said that like tolerated too, because, you know, we do have to balance a lot of this evoking of emotional experience, but containment right? Too, because right. we want them to, we don't want them to be pushed outside their window of tolerance. Right. Um, and so we're, we're constantly like, you know, doing that. Yeah. What's cool about this is that it really does sound so similar to like 
the therapy that I do with individuals, like it's kind of Mm -hmm. all the same things, but just used in this interpersonal context where there's, you know, two nervous systems in the room instead of one, or I guess three, you know, if you count the therapist, but it's like, it's also very similar because I'm doing the same work with people where we're, we're going into the experience, but we're creating containment and we're kind of using titration. And so there's a lot of commonalities there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I like to, I mean, with my somatic experiencing back to background, not so much, EM, not using EMDR with therapists more or with, within the couple relationship, but a lot of the, the aspects of what I've learned and known with EMDR and certainly with the somatic experiencing helps me so much mm-hmm. with, um, this model and, and, and working within this model and helping clients meet their goals within this model. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Oh man. So Gosh, we just covered so much good stuff. Um, what else? Do you have anything else in your notes or that you wanted to mention today? Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I did have kind of like a, um, a thing on here about like specific interventions that we might use, but, um, oh, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. So there's, there's two kinds of interventions that we use within the stages of EFT, um, the first type of interventions are, are about accessing and reprocessing attachment related emotional experiences. Hmm. And then the second kind of interventions that we might use are more about like tracking your patterns of distress and creating new ones. And the tracking interventions are, seem a little bit simpler. They're like reframing and doing enactments. Enactments are you know, like I said, deepening within one's experience, one's emotional experience, and then asking them to pass it over, like literally saying, wow, what you've just said here, when you poke, you mm-hmm. have this feeling uh, on the inside of, of guilt or shame. And you've not told him about that. Can you turn and tell him that, and, you know, that's like an enactment, and then we would process mm-hmm. that, um, and certainly summarizing it. But a lot of the interventions that we're using to access and reprocess attachment experiences are, are very important because when we go through this um, process of becoming uh, an EFT certified clinician, holy cow, um, that rocked my world. And this is why I'm so Mm -hmm. proud of this certification because you have to demonstrate, you have to videotape yourself doing these interventions with a couple and, um, and, and putting them on there, making, making sure that you're doing them effectively. Uh, so it's, it's I'm wild. so intimidated by, yeah, there's, um, cause I've been doing the coherence therapy trainings and to get like fully certified, they have a similar thing where you record a session and send it in. And I'm like, I feel like just knowing that I'm being recorded would like make me freeze <laughs> up where I'm like, I swear I'm good at this and I know how to do it. But as soon as someone <laughs> is like watching or I'm recording, I'm like, mm-hmm. suddenly I forgot. I don't know. <laughs> yes. yes. Although like, we, I had started, um, taping my sessions way back, even when I, um, was still in the, the training or certification process just to get used to it. And my goodness, talk about a game changer in terms of like learning and being able to process my sessions with my supervisor and what I was doing, where I I was going. Oh, so amazing. Um, but yeah, there are, there are very specific things that we're doing that really make EFT what it is. So it's kind of cool. That reminds me actually of another question. So I saw a TikTok you posted a bit ago where I think you were talking about that intervention where you're having couples, you know, face each other and and share these vulnerable things. And then if someone has an experience where it's like this actually, like, I can't say it, like it feels too vulnerable Mm. or it feels too scary. And I think in the TikTok, you, you said that then you could actually just have someone say to their partner, like, it feels so scary to tell you about my feelings or that kind of thing. Yep. And essentially that's like, that's slicing it thinner, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I've had that happen several times and really the fears come alive. The fears of, I don't know if my partner's trustworthy and dependable to hold this vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big deal, but that's beautiful because we know, I know I have it online. I know the fear is in the room. It's online. It's active. And mm-hmm. so slicing it thinner is just saying, yes, it is when you look over and you see and you see her eyes, you're not sure if she be, if she would believe you that yeah. you really are scared um, and sad even mm. to think that you're not good in her eyes. Can you just turn and tell her, I'm really scared to tell you 
and, uh, about this, this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it doesn't go well, you know, depending on yeah. where they're at with their cycle. Sometimes the partner might say, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe mm-hmm. it at all. I've not heard this at all. And right. I would, ca- I would have to catch that. You know, that's another an intervention called like catching bullets. It's like mm. what, what she, okay. What he shared underneath was so hard to hear. You've, you've not heard this. It's hard to trust yeah. it. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. And I, I love that. That's actually another thing that we do in coherence therapy as well is that because there's a, a whole technique in coherence therapy called overt statements where you basically have someone like use, they call it like the limbic language, right? The emotional language. Yeah, to be I love like, it. This is like the, you know, the feeling. And so you have someone instead of talking about an attachment figure, like, oh, I feel like my mom, you know, doesn't accept me. You would have them imagine their mom and say directly, you know, mom, like, I just know that you don't, you don't love and accept me for who I am. And it's so much more, you know, evocative and experiential, but then sometimes it's, it's too intense. Like people will be like, I can't even like let myself say that in my imagination. And so then we do the same thing. We slice it thinner and it's like, okay, can you just imagine your mom and just say to her, like, mom, I'm too scared to even tell you how rejected I feel or something like that. Beautiful. So really, yeah. really similar technique there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I wonder, uh, I mean, cause that sounds like potentially what, what, what one would do in emotionally focused individual therapy. Interesting. Um, cause when we're, do- when we're doing emotionally focused individual therapy, we're using attachment figures, but clearly um, not in the room and there's right. this, like, just like inner experience with it. Cool. Yeah, That's really yeah. neat. Yeah. So much overlap. And then, so do you also do this with families, like family relationships, or is it all like romantic partners that you work with? Yeah, I've done a couple of, um, emotionally focused family therapy sessions, but typically most of my work is all couples. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But this would apply for say like a family system. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, there are, there's trainings for EFFT emotionally focused family therapy. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you so much. I always learn so much from talking to you. I'm glad you were down to come back for a a round two interview. (laughs) Yay. I'm excited too. It's really nice to see you and spend time with you. Um, and I, I think it's great. I can't wait to share with um, even my couples who or new couples that want to hear about uh, a yeah. little bit more about it in depth. Yeah. 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 Um, are you taking new clients right now? Cause I know people will want to know. Well, I'm actually on a short wait list right mm. now. Um, and so, you know, how, how sometimes that could change. Sometimes you have people graduating therapy and, and mm-hmm. you know, schedules open up, but right now I'm running a short wait list. Yeah. What state again? South Carolina. South Carolina. Cool. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's all I got. So, um, thank you so much for your time and I'll put your links in the podcast description for anybody that wants to like check out your website or learn more. Awesome. Thank you so much.